Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. Hello, everyone. I am Jeffrey Hayes, and today we are talking about the new document on vitrification. Our guest today is Dr. Sangeeta Jindal, the IVF Lab Director and Associate Professor at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and Montfiore's Institute for Reproductive Medicine. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Jindal. Nice to be here, Jeff. Thank you. So we have a brand new document, and my first question for you is, how did this come about? We talk sometimes about updated documents, but you know, when we have the chance to talk about a brand new document, I'm sure a lot of people don't know how these things are put together. Yep, that's a good question. So I should say I joined the practice committee about three years ago, and one of my very first tasks was starting this new document. So the new document came about out of um, conversations about another document that the committee had developed for oocyte cryopreservation. And it seemed that uh, a large part of that conversation was about vitrification methods, just the technical methods that are focused in the laboratory. And so the task force at that time decided that that really was enough for a separate new document and that they would task that to our group, our subgroup, the Society for Reproductive Biologists and Technologists within ASRM. And so when I joined the committee, um, they said, here is your first deliverable due, and it's a new document on vitrification methods. Just to sort of recap that, there was a task force that was put together and that this task force was made up of some secondary groups like SRBT. Was, Was SART involved in it? Yes. So the way these documents are generated these days There is a good shepherd and the good shepherd is on the committee and the good shepherd assembles a task force of content experts. And these are usually three, five content experts, scientists, academician, clinicians, and they are uh, in private practice. They're in academic practice. They have expertise in the topic and they do the literature search. They devise the document, they organize it, they write it. So that task force decided that this should be a separate document. So when this came to me, I did the same thing. As Good Shepherd, I assembled a task force of content experts, and that is how this document came to be. Let's get into within the document here for folks. There's a timeline with a discussion on each stage of the vitrification process. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I'd be happy to. So really, we have to go back to the advent of cryopreservation or freezing in human IVF. So the first human embryo, which was cryopreserved with a subsequent pregnancy, was reported in 1985. And this was cryopreserved using a slow cooling method. So please note when we use the term cryopreserve versus the term freeze, freeze is less accurate. Although we do use the term commonly when communicating with with non-scientists, however, freeze implies the presence of intracytoplasmic ice crystals, which ideally does not happen. So cryopreservation via slow cooling means there was a gradual reduction in the temperature from room temperature to minus 30 degrees Celsius prior to storage in liquid nitrogen. And the ice crystal formation occurs extracellularly. So this was embryos in 1985. Eggs, the first reported egg cryopreservation with subsequent pregnancy was reported in 1986. 
And this was also by a slow cooling method. However, the efficiency of these protocols in general was very, very low. And it wasn't until 1998 that a landmark publication described a rapid cooling method. And this involved a specific device, specific media, minimal media volumes, and a rapid cooling and a rapid warming rate. And this allowed cells to survive plunging into liquid nitrogen straight from room temperature. So rapid cooling and rapid warming is typically referred to as vitrification in the literature. In the document, there's some discussion about some key performance indicators. Again, we want people to go and read the document. So I just was wondering if you could just touch on these key performance indicators. It's my understanding that there was a first time that happened in talking about this in this in this particular document. So as you know, experienced lab directors know that we measure outcomes, metrics in the laboratory routinely and since we started. So these outcome measures and key performance indicators have traditionally been measured in high-performing labs. What this document has done has codified this. It, It offers practical recommendations to optimize patient outcomes with with both egg and embryo rapid cooling vitrification. So we do um, write out in this document, and I won't go through all the list of things that we suggest, uh, for a quality management program and measurement of key performance indicators. And of course, for our listeners, we will be posting the link to this document in our show notes, or you can go over to www.asrm.org, as always, and find the document on our on our main page. I'm talking with Dr. Sangeeta Jindal, who is the uh, good shepherd of this particular document, and I want to kind of go back for a second to that role that you have with this. As Good Shepherd of the document, what were some of the challenges that you faced in its development? So vitrification is very widely used within the field. It is now the standard of care for cryopreservation of embryos and oocytes. And um, there's a lot of literature that has come out of labs, both with research and with clinical experience. However, there has not been a standardized document Um, describing these methods in a way that would not present um, specific, you know, biases and preferences for devices or media. So the challenge with this document was to cover the topic in a way that was hopefully more balanced and it was also comprehensive. And we had to make sure we captured the principles really, and um, expressed it in the context of the history of cryopreservation. So uh, the input from the task force and input from the members review was critical in generating this document to the form it is now. And this particular document, is there any patient perspective? Well, I think patients and practitioners should know that oocyte and embryo vitrification is a highly technical procedure, which involves extreme attention to detail. And this is what helps ensure uh, high quality results. Um, I think patients should feel assured that laboratories are following very strict quality control, quality assurance, that the um, media and the devices have been uh, used and approved for human IVF 
and that the practitioners have been trained to a very high level and competencies are um, done annually, routinely annually, to ensure that the practitioners do not uh, experience protocol drift. So patients should feel comfortable that the uh, laboratories are following the highest standards that they can possibly follow for vitrification. And to sort of follow up on that then, what is the future perspective? Yeah, so vitrification is now widely being done for embryos. And really the key development was for oocytes back in the 90s. So we we're freezing now, sorry, cryopreserving now oocytes and embryos with vitrification. I think what's coming and what's actually already here is vitrification for sperm. And I think this has a use in male patients who have very, very low sperm counts. And we were able to vitrify actually single-digit numbers of sperm to be recovered at the time of warming. And this will be helpful to couples with extremely severe male factor infertility. I've been speaking with Dr. Sangeeta Jindal today about the new document on vitrification. Dr. Jindal, I hope we can get you back on the show again soon. Thank you so much for being on today. It's been a pleasure, Jeff. Anytime. Thank you. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.